Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles, go with me this evening. Let's go back to the book of Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts chapter number 11. The last time that I was with you, we we talked about the church. We talked about the fact that that God wants a great church. We talked about that upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We talked just a little bit. I talked briefly about what makes, according to the Bible, what makes, according to Scripture, a great church. And I asked us the question, who here wants to be a great church? And every hand went up into the air. And I believe that it is everyone's desire uh, for, uh, to be a great church. I was listening to a guy before we get into our scriptures and I get into what we're going to uh, getting ready to say. He said, you know, there's he was talking about in the sports world. He was talking about different people in the sports world and he did, and a commentator was asking him his opinion uh, on on certain different ap- athletes and what he would bring up this name he would say oh well that's a, he said that's a that's a good baseball player that's a good football player that's a that's a good he said that's a good basketball player or whatever the case may be and then he would he would hear a couple of names and he would say well, that one is a great player. And he looked at that commentator and he said, "There's a sm-, he said there's a he said there is a he said there's a thin line or a thin margin between being good and being great." And I believe that God just doesn't want us to be a good church. God wants us to be a great church. Amen. And how many knows that as long as God is building the church, it'll be a great church. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. But I shared with you just a few things the last time that we were together about what makes a great church. And I explained to you that if the Lord would allow me, I would want to go into a little bit deeper in that. And that is exactly what my intention and what I feel like my assignment is tonight. So Acts chapter Number 11, Acts chapter number 11. Let's begin reading at verse number. Let's begin reading at verse number 19. And we'll read down through verse 23. Acts chapter 11. Let's start at verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they they should continue with the Lord. 
So tonight I want to continue the thought on being a great church. And I said that the first thing that marked this church for being great was it was a church that was full of grace. And so for the next few moments tonight, I want to talk to you what it's like when the church is a great church that is full of grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight, Lord God, for these next few moments that we have together. I'm asking you, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church tonight. And Father, whenever we'll cease to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it all, in Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen and Amen. So the Bible tells us that the church in Antioch was a church that was experiencing revival. It was a church that was in the throes of revival. God is saving people. God is is ministering to people. People are being saved. People are being delivered. People are being baptized. People are being filled with the Spirit of God. I'm telling you, revival had come to the church at Antioch. So much that when God begins to move at this church, that it reaches the church in Jerusalem. News reaches to the church in Jerusalem as to what is going on down in Antioch. And they're hearing about this great thing that is going on in Antioch. They're saying you could probably walk down the street and say, Hey, have you heard about the church at Antioch? Have you heard about what's going on over at the church of Antioch? Man, people are getting saved. People are getting delivered. People are getting set free. People are getting healed. People are, uh, bondages are being broke loose. People are getting filled with the Spirit of God. And the leadership there at, at the church in Jerusalem is hearing about all this. And they say, you know what? Well, we need to go down there. And we need to send somebody down there to the church at Antioch to see and to, to, to kind of see what is going on and, and bring back an assessment at what is going on at this church. And so the Bible says that they select Barnabas and Barnabas is going to go down to the church at Antioch to find out what what all the big what the big ruckus is about. What is going on in this church? And it is amazing that when Barnabas gets to the church at Antioch, his first impression when he walks into that church, when he begins to go through the people of God, the Bible says that the very first thing that he takes notice that is going on in this church is that the grace of God is on this church. And the Bible says that when he sees this, he is glad by seeing the grace of God that is on this church. And because here's the thing, that is the very first impression that he gets. And can I tell you, as a church, first impressions are very important. Yes. The impression that you make on your community, the impression that the church makes on the family, the church that the, the, the impression that the church makes on people is very, very important. So here's the question. What are people's first impression when they visit the church? Let's bring it. Let's, can we bring it home here tonight, church? They walk in the doors of this church. What is the first impression that they feel about this church? What is it? What is it that they first see? When they come in, 
Are they like Barnabas? Did they see the grace of God upon the church or did they see something else? What is the first impression? First impressions are what first time people will look at when they come into your church. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this. I actually had about three pages worth of statistics that I was ready to quote to you tonight. But I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just give you five that I believe out of that that are extremely important about first-time visitors to your church. Are you ready? The average church loses per year about 10 to 15% of its members simply by attrition. You know what that means? That means we didn't do anything wrong to drive them out. We just simply lose them through attrition. We lose them through things such as they, they move out of town. They, they move into another state. They move, uh, people, people die. Just external things, external things happen. And so statistics tell us that 10 to 15% of our members leave the average American church just simply through attrition. So what does that tell us? That tells us that constantly the church has to be about evangelism. Mm -hmm. Amen? Number two, first-time attenders to your church decide within the first 11 minutes if they'll ever return to your church again. Think about that. First-time attenders decide within the first 11 minutes whether or not if they're ever going to come back to your church again. So usually that is before the first song is ever sung. That is usually before, before the preacher gets up, the pastor, the evangelist, whomever it is that's going to be speaking that day. It is ever before that they ever get up. And so within the first 11 minutes, first time attenders decide whether or not if they are ever going to come back. Are you ready? 75% of first time attenders have personally been invited by someone. What that means is, is that people just didn't magically just show up at the church. We just didn't announce that we were having service tonight and people came. 75% of first-time attenders came to church somewhere because somebody personally invited them. 75% of those first-time attenders want relationship. They want relationship. So let me just add this, and I don't have it in my notes. If they come back a second time, we are more apt to retain them for the next four to six weeks. And if within that if within that next four to six weeks after they have come back a second time, if they have not developed a meaningful relationship inside of that church, they'll never come back. What is the first impression? And also, here's the last one. Are you ready? For first-time attenders, 83% will come back to the church if follow-up is done by somebody other than somebody in leadership. What that means is, is that they expect the pastor to call. They expect the associate pastor to call. They expect the leadership team to call because that's part of the job description. But they are 83% more likely to come back if somebody, a layperson that doesn't have a title, will simply reach out to them. First impressions are very important. 
And when Barnabas came to the church at Antioch, when he came to the church at Antioch, he saw that this church was full of grace. Because I'm telling you, grace in the church is important. As a matter of fact, grace is used in the New Testament 156 times. The New Testament talks about grace. Because above everything else, grace is important. It is grace that brings salvation. It is grace that brings security. It is grace that perfects our weakness. It is grace that seasons our speech. It is grace that empowers us against false doctrine. It is grace that enables us to submit to God. My goodness, if the, only, if the thing that the church probably needs more than anything in, in America today is we need a baptism of the grace of God in our lives. Can somebody say amen? amen. amen. Grace. A great church is a church that is full of grace. What does grace do for the church? When somebody comes in our doors and they see that Oh my goodness, the grace of God is on the church. What does that do to the church? What does that show? What does grace look like in the church? Are you ready? I've got six things that I want to tell you that grace will do for the church if you want to be a great church. Are you ready? Number one, grace, the grace of God will always bring true spirituality. Don't talk to me about how anointed you are if you don't have grace in your life. But grace, true grace from God will bring about true spirituality. Do you remember when God began to talk to the prophet Zerubbabel, to the king Zerubbabel in Zechariah chapter 4? And we read that scripture. Oh, we Pentecostals, we love this scripture. Zechariah 4 and 6 that says this, It is not by might, nor is it by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we shout over that. And that is the truth. It is not by might, nor is it by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. But do we have a little time for Bible study tonight? Because do you know that that scripture is a scripture all about Grace. That is a scripture that God gives to the prophet Zechariah to give King Zerubbabel to tell him it is not by might nor is it by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. But that is a scripture that is wound up in grace. How do I know that? Because a lot of times we will just stop at Zechariah 4 and 6 that says it is not by might nor is it by power but it is by my spirit saith the Lord but the very next it will go on to say who art thou O mountain that stands before Zerubbabel it shall be a plain and at the end you will yell grace grace unto it you know what God is saying there it is saying that the Holy Spirit Spirit provides grace to accomplish the needed work in our lives. Can I tell you, whatever it is that the church is wanting to do, whatever the church, whatever the task that God has, has called the church to, we can 
cannot do it except by the grace of God. It does not come through powerful means. It does not come. It does not come. It does not come through intellectual means. It does not come through political means. It comes through the power that is only given by the grace of God. The only reason that this that I am able to stand here right now with a microphone in my hand and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ is simply for the fact of the grace of God that is all my life. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, I couldn't stand here. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I couldn't go forward. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I couldn't keep up the schedule that I take up. But thank God for the grace of God because He's empowered me because He says it's not by might, it is not by power, and when we say, but it is by His Spirit. And when we turn around and we look at everything that God has brought us through, we can look at it and say, if it hadn't have been for the grace of God, where would I? Be. Yes. Amen. Amen. Great church is a great ch- is a grace church yeah. because a church that is full of grace brings true spirituality. That's number one. Number two, are you ready? Yes. Number two, true grace, a grace filled church brings humility. Romans twelve and three would tell us that's that. Wonderful scripture that begins to talk about. I beseech you therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may show forth what is that perfect, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And then he says, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. James would come along and in James 4 and 6 he says God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble you want a grace filled life you have to be humble see I think perhaps one of the greatest hindrances to a move of God in any church is pride is pride. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And there will be things that will come your way that will test your humility. Things will happen in your life that will simply test whether or not if you are as, as humble as you say you are. You know, I always get tickled over the fact that Moses wrote about himself that he was the most humble man that ever lived. He had, I guess he had to be under the inspiration of the Spirit to write that. But let me say something about being humble. Humble does not mean that we're doormats. Here's what I mean by that. See, Jesus humbled himself But he knew who he was. And at times there will be things that will come and it will test that humility. Precedence will test your humility. Preacher, what do you mean by that? How do you act? How do you respond when things don't go your way in the church? 
Do you blow up? Do you get angry if somebody else got that position instead of you? Do you get upset if somebody else got the pat on the back and you didn't get the pat on the back? That'll test your humility. Amen? Sincerity will test your humility. Criticism will test your humility. We're good at seeing what is wrong with everything. But how do you respond when somebody points out your flaws? We are quick. I, listen, I, I've, I've been in churches all I've been in churches all the time. I, all you know, throughout the course of my ministry. I would say something about a particular sin. I will say something about that. And people will say, well, I'm glad I don't do that. But more likely, if you pull back the layers. Oh, come on, I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now. Or you begin to have that conversation and say, hey, you go to that person in love and say, hey, I see this here. Let me, let me help you. With that. And we get that Peter mindset. You know what the Peter mindset is? It's that mindset that looks at Jesus and says, Oh, yeah, God, but what about what about him? There'll be times that are humility. But here's what I know about humble people. Are you ready? Humble people learn. Humble people grow. Humble people obey. Ooh, we don't like that. Humble people serve. Humble people persist. And so, a grace-filled church is a humble church. Number three, is this okay for everybody? Yes. A grace-filled church brings about integrity. Paul would write it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12 when he would say, Our boasting, that means our confidence, is not in anything else but the simple fact that we conducted ourselves in simplicity and godly sincerity. The church... We've got to be led by integrity. My goodness, can I just talk plain to you right now? If I've got to wake up and go through my newsfeed one more time and hear about another pastor or another minute or, or another mega ministry that was no longer that found out that for years was not operating integrity in, in, in integrity. Whether through spiritual abuse, physical abuse, alcoholism, adultery, whatever the case may be. My goodness, the church has to operate in integrity. We have to earn the right to be heard. No longer the days, well, it used to be 
I can walk into a place and say, I'm a preacher. I'm a, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. And that would carry some sort of status. But now we have heard so much about this one doing that, this, and this one over here doing that, and all of, the, all of these things happen. And I'm not trying to be disparaging. I'm not trying to cast stones. But what happens is that over the course of time, the church has lost its right to be heard. Because what the world is looking at, don't tell me, my God, okay, I'm going to preach here just for a second. Don't tell me that God can deliver me from this when half of the people sitting in your church are still bound up. Amen? I know that sounds hard. Now listen, let me just make a caveat here. I don't feel that too bad about my preaching nowadays after, uh, after yesterday morning hearing that lady, hearing that woman preach because after every few things she would just look at the congregation and say, have I offended you yet? So I don't feel too, I don't, I don't feel too bad. I don't feel too bad about my preaching right now. But we've got, we've, we've got to earn the right to be heard. Our integrity is more important than our talent. Pastor, I, I get it. I, 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 I understand it. I, listen, we, we, can, we can nitpick all day long. But here's the thing. There used to be a day you didn't stand on this platform unless you were saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Mm. Don't, don't shout me down here now. But now what happens is, is that is, is now we've got is now we've got people that are shacking up together leading worship. And we've got the one that's pushing pills up on the piano bench. I'm getting I'm getting ready. I, I'm getting ready to, to, to blow up here. And I may sound like that I'm mad, but I'm telling you what has happened is that the church has ruined her integrity. And the world is looking and saying, Well, don't tell me how to live my life, and don't tell me what your God can do. Now, now let me just say this. I understand we have struggles. I understand that we have difficulties, and I and I'm and and, and I'm not ma- I'm not making light of all that. But I want to tell you, God is bigger than my struggle. God is bigger than my difficulty. God is bigger than any addiction. God is bigger than any sin. And if we would just let the precious blood of Jesus wash over us, the blood of Jesus would still free us. The God, the blood of Jesus would still sanctify us. The blood of Jesus would still deliver us. The blood of Jesus would still purify us. I still believe in a holy and a purified people that God wants in the church. My goodness. We've got to have integrity. And God's grace brings that. Number four. Are we okay here? Can I help you for one second? Yes, go ahead. I, I completely agree with you, but I, I just want, for those that might be watching, anybody, and I mean anybody, can walk in these doors. Amen. Amen. I'm getting ready to get to that here in just a second. Yeah. Number four. Grace brings individuality. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. God would say, Paul would say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
Every one of us here in this house are an individual. Yes. Every one of us in this house are an individual in the sense that we are uniquely created in the image of God. We are both different and unique. I am so thankful God did not call us to be echoes. The grace of God allows us to be who we are. Can I tell you this? And we were talking about this on the on the on the ride over one night to one of the meetings there in Berea. And here is one of the things that I was talking about. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the ministry of people like A. A. Allen, people like Catherine Kuhlman, people like R. W. Shambach. But God did not call me to be another A. A. Allen. God did not call me to be another R. W. Shambach. God did not call me to be another Oral Roberts. He didn't call me to be another Billy Graham. He called me to be who he created me to be. And I'm afraid that there is so much confusion in the world right now. Is because we're trying to be something that God never intended for us to be. Even in ministry. Even in ministry. Especially with the advent of social media. We begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. And we begin to say things like, well, if I could just preach like him. Or if I could just sing like her. Or if I could just, if I could just, if I could just play like that. Then maybe things would turn around. Maybe things would turn around a little bit more in my favor. But what happens is, is let me remind you of what scripture says. That those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. We cannot, and God uses us as we are. So here's the thing you got to know who you are. You got to know exactly it is who you are. You've got to show who you are. And you have to grow where you are. Too many people are running from here to there. This church to that church. Here and there. Going everywhere. We're chasing the word. We're chasing the miracles. We're chasing the signs and wonders. And this is what God spoke to me today as I was going over these notes again. He said, if you'll take care of the death, I'll take care of the breath. You take care of the death, I'll take care of the breath. See, a lot of us, a lot of people in the church today, we're a mile wide and an inch deep. We're so spread out. We go here. We go there. I can't tell you in my times of ministry 
How many times, and I'm getting ready to upset an apple cart here and don't, I don't want anybody to get mad at me, but it's just, this just, and I was praying over this today. And here's the thing. In my 20 years of ministry, and the churches that I've been into, I've encountered people that say, you know what? I'm just here, and I'll be here until God moves me somewhere else. And they've been to 14 different churches in the last five years. Well, I was over there for about three months, and you know, and I just fell led of the Lord. I just feel led of the Lord that I need to start going over here to this church over here. And they go over there to that church for about six or eight weeks. And then all of a sudden, well, I just feel led of the Lord. I just need to go over here to this church. People like that are a mile wide and an inch deep. Because then what you will begin, my goodness, I know I'm sounding, I know I'm sounding mean. But what I'm finding, but what you'll begin to find out is eventually, is that eventually they'll start to talk him and they'll start running down every other church that they've been at. Well, I left that church because you know what, they just weren't feeding me. Or I left that church because you know what, I just didn't like the music there. And I didn't like that church, you know, because you know that preacher parts his hair the wrong way. I, didn't, I left that church because he wears jeans instead of, a, instead of a suit. And they don't take root. But if we will take care of the depth and get rooted, I tell people this all the time and then I move it on. Outside of your relationship with God, perhaps the second greatest decision that you'll ever make is the church that you decide to attend. And we can call it membership, we can call it church attendance, whatever that you want to call it. But if, but if you don't grow, you die. And grace-filled churches bring individuality. And so whatever it is, wherever that you're at, grow in that place. And God's grace will give you, God will give you the grace to grow. Number five, I've got two more. And I've got ten minutes. I've got ten minutes left on the clock here. Number five. Grace, a church filled with grace, brings generosity. Acts chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 talks about a famine. Talks about a famine that is hitting. The economy has collapsed. But the Bible says that the church determined to send relief to those that were in need. Can I tell you what the hand of grace is? It's generosity. The hand of grace is generosity. Let me explain to you how that, what that looks like. I was blown away today. I had to put a new tire on my car today. Didn't want to. I was going over my car today. We're getting we're ready to leave out for Florida in the morning. I was going over my car, inspecting everything. And I noticed that my front passenger tire was about as slick as could be. 
And I thought to myself, how in the world did I overlook that? Did I not see that before? And so I began looking for a tire. And every place that I, every place that I called said, well, sir, that's a, that's a weird sized tire. And we don't, we don't have that in stock. We'd have to order it for you. And it's going to be, it's going to be a few days before, before it could come in. Well, I didn't have a few days. I needed, I needed to put a tire on it today. I got to leave out in the morning. So I called one place and they said, yeah, we've got that. We'll put it on for you out the door, $235. I was like, uh. And I thought to myself, I, for, I tell the pastor at the beginning of the service, for a split second, I thought to myself, I, I'd be okay. I did, that's what I thought. And I talked myself out of it and I said, you know, if it, if it was just me, I'd probably just chance it getting down there. I said, but with my kids and everything, I said, I'll just go ahead and just, I'll just go ahead and pay this $235 to get one tire put on my car. And I made a comment on Facebook about it and I said, $235 for one tire. I was complaining. That's what I was doing. I didn't ask for anything. But by the time that I walked out of that tire shop there in Winchester, I had an extra $600 sitting in my bank. Because our ministry partners around this nation saw that and said, we're going to give him the grace Yes. To move it. Because grace and giving go hand in hand. There are two types of churches. Are you ready? There is a gravity church and there is a grace church. Let me explain to you what the difference is. A gravity church operates on the pull of the earth. But a grace church operates on the pool of heaven. You missed a place to shout right there. A gravity church will pull, are are churches that are pulled by the earth, by the things of this world. But a grace church is a church that is pulled by the grip of heaven. And what we do as a grace church filled with generosity. Grace gives us the ability to give sacrificially. Grace gives us the ability to give willingly. Grace gives us the ability to give worshipfully. Let me just say this. You know that giving is an act of worship? Giving is a part of worship. Grace gives us the ability to give cheerfully. Grace gives us the ability to give, are you ready? Liberally. As a matter of fact, God gives so we can give. God does not give to us so that we can hoard it all to ourselves. But God gives so that we can give. And then number six, 
I still got five minutes on the clock. A grace-filled church brings responsibility. Grace is a free gift, but it's not a free ride. I'm going to say that to you again. Grace is a free gift, but it is not a free ride. By grace, we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has foreordained that we should walk therein. Here's what I mean about the fact that grace brings responsibility. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. I'm going to say that to you one more time. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. What the beauty of God, what the beauty of God is, is that God works in partnership with man. He, walk, he works in partnership with His creation. In the sense that He looks for somebody that He can work through. You've heard me say this again, and I'm going to say it again. Don't ever think that there will always be somebody to do the work. Why? Because Ezekiel would talk about it. I sought for a man to make up the hedge and I found none. I didn't find someone that was willing to do the work. And here's the thing. Even though that God is sovereign, and I believe in the sovereignty of God, God in His sovereignty has decided to work through mankind. And so, why is it? Let me give you a prime example. He chooses what? The foolishness of preaching to save those that are lost. Why? Because He works in partnership with man. We can't settle for cheap grace. It is grace that brings responsibility to our lives. Cheap grace is grace without the cross. Cheap grace is grace that brings no responsibility into our lives where we lay something down. But true grace comes to us to say, here's my life, God. Take it and do what you would have to do. So that brings me to this in the last couple of minutes. As I was preparing for this today, I was asked this simple question by the Holy Spirit. He said, is your life a gallery of grace? And I had to ask the Lord, God, what do you mean by that? This is what he said. He said, when people see you, do they see the grace of God upon your life? what pastor 
said just a few minutes ago that I said I was going to get to. Here's the point. Here, here's, here's that. When we pray, God, give me the grace to love people. Don't be surprised when God sends the unlovable here. Amen? And that means, I was reading today of a pastor who prayed that one time and he said, God, give me the grace to love people. And he said that very next Sunday, he said there was two gay men that walked through the back door, hand in hand, decked out in leather, and came and sat down on the front row of the church. He said, I looked, he said, and I started thinking to myself, oh my goodness. He said, I hope, I hope they're not here to cause trouble. He said, the Lord reminded me, he said, but you asked me to give you the grace to love people. He said, in that service that morning, those two men got gloriously saved. The Spirit of God reached down to where they were at and gloriously saved them. He said, we begin to disciple them. We begin to help them in their journey and what God is wanting them to be. He said, that man later on, he said, one of those men later on became my associate pastor. He said, the other moved away, a wife, children, and is leading his own ministry. Now, if you think that that message, that that story is simply about two people and homosexuality, it's wrong. Because I'm going to tell you what I see a lot in the church right now. What I've been noticing in the church in general across this nation is we've got rich churches and we've got poor churches. And we've got a mindset that the only people that God is sending us to are the broke and the outcast and the drug addicts and, and, and everybody that's on skid row and to heck with every, to, to the doctors and the lawyers and the CEOs. And then we've got on the other side of the spectrum, you know, we, we, we want the, the affluent. We want the millionaires, we want the doctors, we want the lawyers, we want the CEOs. And so we don't want the smelly people. We don't want the people who maybe have been out on a, on a drinking binge two hours before church and they come stumbling in and, they make their, and, and when they leave, the stench hangs around for three or four days after they leave. Come on, I've been in services like that. What we need is a baptism of grace because here's the thing. God loves both of them 
And God can use a group of them to help fund it. Amen? Yes, amen. And so here's the question. How does the grace of God look in our lives? Are we a great church in so much that when people see us, what they see is the grace of God that has so saturated our lives that people look at us like they did with Barnabas and say, Barnabas saw the grace of God and he was glad. I struggled with this all day today because I had to take inventory of myself when the Spirit began to continually ask me this question. When people see you, what do they see? When people first encounter you, what do they see upon your life? And I had to really take retrospect of my own life in that and to say, God, if there's anything that doesn't quite line up, God, help me with that. McCamey's used to sing a song that said, I'm a trophy of grace, a display of his love. I want people to look at us and say, that is a great church. Because the grace of God is upon their lives. How many want to be filled with grace? Amen. Amen. Stand with me all over this house. We hope you enjoyed today's message by evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding New Season Ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. God bless, and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry. Thank you.